Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gavriel Hakoen. We are your hosts. Uh, and joining me, as always, uh, is my BFF and co-host, Sadie Carpenter. I just want to say, uh, Sadie, happy 4th of July. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Happy 4th of July to you, too. <laughs> and happy 4th of July to all of our American listeners. Uh, well, I, I mean, we- I hope the international listeners have a happy day as well. Yeah, I hope they do too. Let's see. When's Bastille Day? Uh, is is that in July? That's I think. Is that the fourteenth? I don't so, know. For the French. Uh, let me look it up. When's Bastille Day? When's Canada Day? Canada Day is July first, which I know because in our house we celebrate Canada Day, usually hey. with um, poutine and Trailer Park Boys. That's a great way to celebrate Canada. You listen to Rush too. Yeah, married to my very Canadian husband, so. Yeah, I was right. Uh, So Bastille Day is July 14th. So if you're Canadian, if you're French, if you're American, um, happy uh, Day of National Pride. I hope that you guys have a good one. 
And if you are if you are none of the above, I still hope you have a pleasant beginning of the month of July. Yeah. Um, but it, it's funny that it is 4th of July today because, what, Sadie, what are we talking about today? We're talking about something 4th of July related. So I want to talk about Christian nationalism. Oh, God. <laughs> so by definition, Christian nationalism is the merging of two identities, the identity of Christianity and the identity of being American. And it merges those two into one thing. I don't want to belabor the effects of this, like how it plays out now, because I think people know what those are. And I also would like to come back and do a follow-up episode in particular about how this ties in with the NRA and the prevalence of guns in our culture. Christian nationalism is a really broad topic. So what I want to focus on today is something that I get asked a lot, which is why so many American Christians tie their American patriotism and their Christianity so closely together that they become one thing. So we're going to talk about how I celebrated the 4th of July back in my fundy days and how that is connected to the roots of Christian nationalism and try to answer that question that so many people ask me of, where did this come from to begin with? Yeah, this is a really exciting topic, and I think this is going to be a really interesting episode. I'm I'm really excited to talk about. I have some thoughts on this as well. That um, yeah, super excited having, to get into it. Just growing up as an an American who is not a Christian, you know, I I have I feel like I have an interesting perspective on this. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast is a fully independent podcast. It is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the Independent Fundamental Baptist cult, also known as the IFB, which is uh, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults, including uh, the IBLP, other branches of fundamentalism. We talk about religion. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion so if you like our show if you are a fan of our show there are some things that you can do to support us first you can join our patreon where we have extended and uncensored versions of most of our podcast episodes you can go and join our facebook group if you want to hang out and talk with other fans of the show uh, that's facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Also a fun time. You can sample our merchandise, which is at our threadless shop. And the link to that is uh, in our link tree on our Instagram. And also there will be a link in the show notes below and we've got some great designs that are available. Uh, I think all of our Pride Month designs are still available. Um, but the other thing is that we've got Club Egypt designs. So if you want some Club Egypt merch, if you want to rep Club Egypt uh, hard to, to show off how much of a bad boy you are, maybe wear it to Pensacola, see if anybody notices, uh, you can do that. We've got sweatshirts, we've got hoodies, we've got tank tops, we've got uh, shirts, we've got whatever you want. Literally whatever you want. That shop lets us put our merch designs on 
pretty much anything. Yeah. Uh, so here's an idea. If you are a, uh, a current Pensacola Christian College student and you send us proof that you are a current Pensacola Christian College student and you uh, wear some Club Egypt merch somewhere, then I will send you a Club Egypt bedspread. Uh, so you can have your Club Egypt bedspread if you really want it. Uh, that is not yeah. going to go over well in the Pensacola dorms. I can just <laughs> tell you that. Either that, or it will go over amazingly well. But uh, just, just if you do this, uh, hit me up. <laughs> is there anything else left that we have to talk about? Anything else we got to promote? Uh, no, I think we can uh, thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons and get into the episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. Speaking of the Patreon, uh, before I thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, we're going to do an all patron hangout for our second anniversary show. So if you are, uh, we're going to do some like astrology readings for that. So if you're a patron, uh, check your Patreon inbox for that pretty soon. Uh, Sadie's going to send out a link to where we're going to have our online uh, uh, hangout for all the patrons. Well, it's a live show. It's an all-patron live show. It'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and you can, you can show up and you can hang out with us. Anyway, uh, I do have to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons because you guys are, are really the guys that go the extra mile, the, the guys, girls, and uh, non-binary people that go the extra mile. Your names are Alex Todd, Brittany, Brooke Tolly, Carrie R, Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kater Wee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutz, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Taylor, Tiffany Enderby, Victoria McKenzie, and finally, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you all so much. Uh, Faith Promise Missions to your patrons. You guys are are incredible and we really appreciate your support yeah thank you so much to all of our patrons and especially to the faith promise missions tier patrons who make our show possible yeah you guys are the best ah uh, sadie yes you you got plans for fourth of july you having a barbecue um maybe you know go with chuck jonathan down to blues fest at the waterfront if they do a blues fest this year i don't know i i don't know because honestly i tend to not do things for july 4th i i don't know what it is i can't nail it down the 4th of july just makes me super depressed really yeah huh. you don't like you don't want to just take this opportunity to like you know, make some burgers, you know, drink beer in the sun, watch fireworks. I mean, like. well, I, I live in an apartment, so there is no place to grill burgers or exist in the sun. Um, those are commodities that I have to really go out of my way to get. I keep meaning to try out Heathen Fourth of July, by which I mean doing outdoor things in immodest clothes and drinking beer. I think that's what people do on the Fourth of July. I still haven't really given it a shot. I do like fireworks, but I can see fireworks from my apartment. So 
I kind of have an easy out on that one, and I haven't really explored the world of Fourth of July. So if you're saying that there's heathen Fourth of July, which is, uh, I like to call it normie Fourth of July, does that mean that there is also a fundy Fourth of July? Oh, man. <laughs> there is absolutely a fundy Fourth of July. So... What does that entail? Is is it like some kind of heathen 4th of July, but in modest dress with no beer? Because like, honestly, that still sounds pretty good. So 4th of July is a day when the fundies try to mimic normalcy. I wonder if my dislike of the holiday has something to do with that. So it's kind of like what you were saying about fundy Christmas, like the Christmas cantata. Because I, like, I remember being really surprised that you told me that on Christmas they didn't go as hard into making it as Jesus-y as possible, because that's what I would have expected. So I definitely want to hear from listeners on this one, but my experience was that Christmas was actually meant to be like an idealized Victorian Christmas. So it wasn't quite the same thing that non-fundy kids that I knew were experiencing uh, by, by which, when I say non-fundy kids that I knew, I mean the children that I attempted to witness to in the McDonald's play place, because <laughs> <laughs> this is a real thing that I did um, many times. But uh, but I, w- I wasn't having the same Christmas as those kids. But I was. We had our own traditions, and it felt. It didn't feel like we're doing something different than everybody else. It just felt like we're doing a different version of it than everybody else. Fourth of July, it's hard to explain, but it just felt off. It just felt different to me as a kid. So, like, what what specifically felt off to you? I think maybe what I noticed was that the celebration we were having felt like a very empty mimic of normalcy. And I think maybe what I was picking up on was the vibe of the adults around me, like their emotions about this day, because a lot of IFB church members weren't raised in the IFB. So maybe they had a normal life before they joined the IFB. So I wonder if my just sense of something isn't right came from seeing these adults in their fundy clothes, drinking a Diet Coke, and they're wishing really hard that they were able to go to their family or friend celebrations and wear shorts and drink beer. And that's what I was picking up on was their secret wish that they could go back to normal and their guilt for wishing for that in the first place. Hmm. I, I just I wonder if maybe that's just what contributed because I can't I can't put a finger on what seemed weird or wrong. I just just wasn't good vibes <laughs> for me as a kid. So huh. and I like as a kid, as a funny kid, I was raised to predict and manage adults' emotions. So that led to me being a child who was incredibly perceptive of adults' emotions. So Interesting. Yeah, so huh. if somebody was emotionally off, I could feel it. It would just be the vibe is wrong. Yeah, and I would I would just know what adults huh. like if something what they're I'm trying not to use the fundy words because the no, fundy, what, what would the fundies say? Like their what, what? their spirit or their countenance is different. I thought countenance was like your face. Yeah, that's made to your face and the ex- your facial expressions. So would somebody maybe walk up to you and say your countenance looks weird? Or your countenance is off and you'd be like, oh my God, what's going on? Your in my countenance life? is fallen. It would be the term. Huh. Yeah. 
Um, but they would, they, you know, also, uh, you need to be presenting a cheerful countenance if you were frowning. That's what they would say. Um, Fundamentalism isn't a cult, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I, I, I think maybe that's what I was picking up on. But I want to let me tell you what the celebration was like, like what we were actually doing. And maybe that can help us pull out exactly what I was feeling was weird as a kid. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. So I have such clear memories of the lead up to the 4th of July service every year. Um, we would go in being part of the, of the pastor's family. We would all go in on around the last week of June and we decorate the church building and the choir would be practicing all of their songs weeks in advance. So when Wait. I was older, yes. Okay. So, so 4th of July is a church service. Oh, I didn't mention that. Did I? No. What? Why? 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 Wait. Why is Sorry. Fourth of July a church? It, it, Jesus. What? Jesus never lived in America. Um. Like. That's correct. Uh, um. It's not. Well, it's not just a church service. It's two church services or more, depending on two. what day the the 4th of July falls on. Yeah, it's it's a Sunday morning and Sunday night service on the Sunday closest to the 4th of July. But if the 4th of July is, happens to be on a Wednesday, then it's three services because your Wednesday night service is that too. Um, and then it's also, well, also the entire month of July is patriotic songs and like red, white, and blue decorations in the sanctuary. So really, it's, it's like a month-long <laughs> event. I, like, huh. So, of course, most, you know, most IFB churches display the American flag on the platform all year long. So we didn't put the flag up just for July. We just had a bunch of other decorations. So if, if you don't mind me asking, and I like, and I, I maybe this is just something I don't understand about Christian culture, but isn't that kind of like idolatry? You know what I'm saying? Like worshiping a country or worshiping its founders or its people in a religious arena isn't that i i would say that it is but the ifb would probably counter that by saying that america is specifically mentioned in both the old and new testaments and that the founding fathers were basically independent baptists um except for uh, thomas jefferson who you would think that they would hate because he edited the miracles out of the bible but they find a way to be okay with him anyway so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna circle back to a couple things there <laughs> first that because that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I am aware that this is a lot, but I'm going to explain it to you. No, like th this is the thing is that so, like you can prepare and prepare and prepare. Like I was saying during Pride Month, you can prepare for all of like the reasonable arguments that you expect from somebody, and then they come out with something that's just so off the wall that you're not even prepared for it. No, but like the thing about Thomas Jefferson, like you'd think that they'd point to his godlessness as a contributing factor be to to his depravity uh, with regards to the people who he enslaved. Yeah, um, the the IFB think that the founding fathers only enslaved people because they didn't know any better and they were all really nice to their slaves which makes it okay and this means that they just conveniently ignore and do not talk about the 
I mean, things like the rape of Sally Hemings and also the mountain of evidence that these guys definitely knew that kidnapping, imprisoning and claiming to own human beings was not okay. But like they like these people literally wrote down that slavery is wrong and we shouldn't be doing it. And then they like did it anyway. Well, if if the fundies had a lick of sense in their brains, they would make that an object lesson about how we justify sin to ourselves. It's a sermon illustration that writes itself, but they don't have the sense to do that. And they need to be able to practically deify the founding fathers for reasons that I will explain to you. <laughs> so they have to continue to justify that sin. Anyway, uh, I don't want to do too many spoilers for the end of this episode, so we should probably get back to talking about the IFB 4th of July church service before we get to that. Right, because you said that they said America was mentioned in the Old and New Testament, and we're, like, we're not going to let that go. But just No, I, I we'll promise. That a little bit. Uh, I have sources, I have citations, I'm ready to go. Okay, so 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 what kind of service are you going to get on the 4th of July in the IFB? So... The At least in my church, it was always the Sunday before the 4th of July. They'd have this patriotic service. And it's like um, it's like a mini big day. So if you think back to the spring program episodes, I talked about how the big day was where they would ask members to invite everyone that they knew and really try to pack out the church, like make the fire marshal mad by going over capacity if they could. So it's just like that but without the whole spring program or fall program leading, leading up to it. A lot of IFB churches will employ some kind of shtick to try to pull more people in. So they might have, and it'll be on theme for the 4th of July, so they might have something special for military veterans or for local government, public servants, um, for police or firemen or all of the above. At my church, I definitely remember having a thing where we had people from each branch of the armed services stand up and we played their anthems, like the Marine hymn, the Army song, the Navy song, all of that. I remember, I also remember learning to play these songs on the piano, but I'm not sure if we did that once or more than once, and I'm not sure if we did it for Veterans Day or for the 4th of July, but that's the kind of thing that we would do on the 4th anyway. Yeah, but that, that makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm sure that many of the older church members are what they're, they're going to be World War II, Korean War veterans, because you're, you're talking about 90s, early 2000s, so they'd be World mm -hmm. War II, Korean War veterans, you know, people a little older than your parents would have been like Vietnam veterans. But they'll do all this stuff to try to pull people in for the 4th of July Sunday morning service. Uh, you know how if you see videos of a political rally where there's just red, white, and blue everywhere? They would uh, decorate like that. Or like with the, the, the bunting? Yeah. So they de- I mean... On like every available service. Like that's kind of over the top. That's kind of... Well, I think when I explained to you... That's the IFB beliefs about America. It will make sense that they just um, completely cover their sanctuary in red, white, and blue. You know, like the thing is, I totally get if you're like hella into the 4th of July as a holiday and you just love doing shit for holidays. If you're the type of person that has like the singing Santa Claus in your front lawn and you decide, 
oh yeah i'm also going to do red white and blue bunting on every surface in my house like i i get that but at like at a church it seems like it's very weird to me to do that we'll we'll get there (laughs) so you'd come in for this church service and i think it's fairly common to relax the dress code a little bit for fourth of july services don't worry you still can't show your shoulders or your knees but hey you can wear jeans or if you're a woman you can wear a jean skirt think of the comfort how about uh american flag themed uh clothing definitely encouraged in my specific church it was you couldn't wear anything that looks like it could be cut from an actual flag. Maybe the biggest Hank Hill thing about my dad was the fact that he was an absolute stickler for the flag code. <laughs> I know the flag code inside and out. <laughs> so I think that was just our church, but my dad was would always um, make sure that everyone was following flag code for the 4th of July. But we were encouraged to wear jean skirts or jeans and red, white, or blue tops, something like that. So we would have the choir start the service. Instead of the song they normally did to open services, it would be something like God Bless America or America the Beautiful. All the hymns would be patriotic-themed songs like Battle Hymn of the Republic, for example, Usually someone would sing the national anthem, maybe for the special music or something, or during part of the service. My biggest memory from 4th of July services, I think, was learning something special for the offering music. So for those who don't know how the IFB takes up the offering, the piano player will typically just play something to fill the silence while they pass the offering plates down the rows of people. And this was the spot for an IFB piano player to shine. (laughs) So you could just go up and play any hymn, just something to fill the silence. But this was the one of the few opportunities for an IFB piano player to show off. So a lot of times, especially for Sunday mornings, I would prepare something special for this offertory music. And for the 4th of July, I, I always did something patriotic, One year I did a medley, I think one year I did a medley of the Armed Forces, I want to say theme songs, but I don't think that's correct. Or their their, uh, uh, anthem or... Yeah, anthem, yeah. Uh, One year... Whatever the word is. One year I did Stars and Stripes Forever, I think, which is very hard on piano. Hmm. One year I did a just sweeping massive piano arrangement of the battle hymn of the republic uh which i can still play it's like um you know four octaves both hands just running down from b flat to f it's a it's a whole thing i take it you're not doing uh american tune by paul simon or uh, this land is your land this land is your land is approved for ifb services really yeah they just cut out most of the verses (laughs) (laughs) whoa i had no idea there were more verses until very recently and then you read them and you're like this guy was this guy sounds like a communist oh no well he did get um uh uh, uh, a (laughs) didn't he well yeah but is that really an indication i mean i'd probably get mccarthy'd (laughs) Yeah, that's true. No, I, I, I take it you also wouldn't do the America, America, and then it goes into the Team America song. 
role police? No, but also <laughs> that sounds a lot like a Patch the Pirate song that you just sang. Wait, did Patch the Pirate rip off Team America? When did Patch the Pirate die? Oh, only recently. When did he stop he's not doing dead. music? He's, he's, he's got Alzheimer's. He's not dead, though. Oh, not that I know of. Right. He stopped making new music, if I had to guess, maybe around 2015. Oh, okay. So he he definitely could have ripped off of the Team America. No, role. that that song that so the song that you were singing that the song that you were singing sounds like I'm thankful to be an American, which came out in like 1984. Okay, and that's the one that he ripped off of. That's the uh, one that he also ripped off of 76 trombones. Yeah. <laughs> yes, from the Music Man. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Um, it would have been super funny if I had known some of these. Um, more secular patriotic songs and played them like for the offering because nobody would have known. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that I once played a hymn-like arrangement of I Kissed a Girl in Church and no one noticed. And no one knew that you were bisexual. <laughs> you didn't even know. <laughs> no, I knew by that point. <laughs> oh, okay. But the okay. rest of the people did, did not. Um, Sneaky. I, I have also I have also played... Um, Actually, a couple of Justin Bieber songs are very churchy sounding if you just arrange them like a hymn. I was a bored church pianist. Yeah, okay. I okay. mean, that makes sense. Um. The the IFB does, though. They do pull out songs that would usually not be church approved for July 4th. So do you know that song? Um, it's like, uh, proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Oh, well, like, if tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. That one. I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Yeah, yep, that yep, yep. one. Um, oh, that was approved only for July 4th. And it couldn't be, we couldn't sing it like with a backing track because that's got way too many like drums and guitars and things. Um, so it could only be played on piano because it was too worldly otherwise. <laughs> Weirdly, they let, I was in a all teenage girl singing group um in high school like kind of in and out but i was in the singing group and for some reason they let us sing that song at a july 4th service and wouldn't so we had to sing if i had to start again with just my children and my wife you know i know we just got off of pride month but i feel like the the <laughs> <laughs> the bisexual content is is off the rails in this episode. Secret bisexual euphoria, just that you you felt <laughs> when you when you said I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, we also did, in addition to, I think. Um, do you remember that? I think Toby Keith came out with a song after nine eleven that was about like nine eleven patriotism, gotten guns. It? Was it the the ladder to heaven song? There was, was that the one, but there was the one that's like "Let's go" about the guy who was a legitimate hero and um, took the plane down in Pennsylvania. No, I don't like I I just I remember a couple of these songs, but I remember just like I mean it, it was it was different. Like if you were growing up uh, a liberal and in Portland, because the the post nine eleven stuff, we were all just like you know we we support our country and we're all going to come together about this. But then some of this weird extreme nationalism things started popping off, and we're just like, oh no. See, I grew I grew up in the extreme nationalism, so I had a very different experience. But a lot of people are probably familiar with those songs. Um, yeah, I, those I, were allowed to be played in our church. 
if we played a recording, people would, I don't even know how people did it, but people would run it through some kind of filter that made the drums quieter where you could barely hear them. Uh, or we would just sing our own cover of it that just, didn't have any drums. Just chop the bass out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we also did a lot of old-fashioned patriotic songs. I mentioned playing Stars and Stripes Forever on piano, which is not a religious song at all. So that's fast. That's not an easy song to do. No, it, it was not. That's one that I, I, I can still play all of the Armed Forces anthems if I think about it. And I can still play my arrangement of Battle Hymn. I, I don't think I could play Stars and Stripes Forever if I wanted to um, anymore. So, you know, the songs that you would imagine playing in the background of a movie, if the movie was set in 1900 and the scene was a small town Fourth of July parade, like That's that kind of patron. Yeah. yeah, like like uh, Main Street Disney World, like that kind of Fourth of July music. I pulled I pulled this song that you can put a little clip of if you want. It's called I'm Just a Flag Waving American. I have been to other lands and places far and near. I've traveled the road that leads to Mandalay. I've been to Rome and Paris and foggy London town. I've thrilled to their legend and story. I've seen their glimmering glory. But no other land can top the USA. Just a flag-waving American, a citizen I'm really proud to be. I'm just a flag-waving American, liberty-loving red, white, and blue variety. I love to sing the battle hymn and Yankee Doodle. I thrill to see a glorified time. I'm just a flag-waving American. Who so what did you think of that? I, I mean, it's it's not like a bad. I I could see it in like an old movie if they're like doing a, a musical or something. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. Like if it, it, it's very musical theater ish. Like if it was, uh, if there was, it, it's like the type of thing where like say the it was a musical set in like 1942 and the recruiter was coming to town trying to get young men into the army. Uh, to fight the Germans, right? Come to town, they play this song or something, and they'd be marching, and that's that's impressed. very much yeah. the vibe. I am I am like ninety nine percent sure I know people on that recording. By the way, <laughs> it's a Hiles really? Anderson recording. Yeah, it's a good sound. Like the it's a good sound. It's, um, it's a great the, the the singers on this song are very talented. The mm-hmm. the the tenor who's singing lead, excellent voice. You know, gr- great singer, beautiful voice. I think I know um, who that is. I'm not 100% sure now. Anyway, so that kind of music uh, would be something that would maybe get played in church or maybe sung as a special. But the IFB, of course, they also have their own patriotic songs that they made up, which is really fun. Oh, God. So do you... <laughs> um So there's a song called We Want America Back. Why don't you do... Why don't you do We Want America Back? Okay. Something is wrong with America She once held the Bible as her conscience and guide But we've allowed those who hold nothing to be sacred Like Sodom of old to push morals aside Where are the men 
once stood for right and the women who championed their cause we must return to the values we left before this country we love is totally Are you triggering yourself by hearing this? No, I'm not triggering myself. I'm just reading the lyrics while it plays. <laughs> Wait, what did they say about self-control? It, we want America back from those who have no self-control. I don't know why. This is like, a, I, I, I think that the songwriting is, there's very little... They're just like saying it very straight up. There's, there's a little poetic... There's no poetic, like, uh, uh, metaphorical, or you know, the the things that. Yeah, really... there, there's no metaphor in this in this song. Um... <laughs> it really seems like they just took the. Li- it doesn't really rhyme even. They they it's just took... sort of. So the the this song starts with something is wrong with America. Uh... Something is wrong with America. Um, it will. I don't know how much of a clip we chose to subject you, the listeners, to. Yeah. Um, but the the lyrics to the, I I would the the song is called "We Want America Back," and I would definitely suggest that you look up the lyrics. Um, it's yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they just took like the the words to like a. Uh, 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 and then there's not a second verse. There's just like a an entire fucking speech in the middle of the song. Wait, there's a speech in the middle? Yeah. Okay, I'll play that. I'm I'm going <laughs> to Okay. I mean, no, actually no. This song is 5 minutes and 42 seconds long. It's, it's because like there's the... Let me see if I can find where the speech starts. Hold on. Okay, the speech starts around a minute 50. I love America, but I do not love what she has become. Scripture says, "Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord, and America has forgotten the godly foundation upon which she was built. Something is wrong. Our children are asked to attend public schools that in many cases resemble war zones, without even the most basic right of any soldier, the right to pray to the God of heaven. Many times the wild-eyed, drug-addicted, gun-carrying teenager is allowed to stay in school while our Supreme Court decided to expel God from the classroom over 30 years ago. Something is wrong. Television daily bombards the senses of our nation with the idea that wrong is right, that the abnormal is normal, that the abhorrent is acceptable, and that what God calls an abomination is nothing more than an alternate lifestyle. (laughs) And it's had an effect. 30 years ago, the number one television program in America was the Andy Griffith. This is okay. This is just like very specific. Uh, I like this is this is a song that you would sing. This is a song that like, yeah, like a a musical group might sing. This was on a Hiles Anderson College CD. 
would it have the speech in the middle like word for word verbatim yeah it's part of the lyrics of the song if if you performed it yeah i think so god that's i've I've, (laughs) i will admit that i have blocked a bit of this out you know what vibe it kind of gives me it kind of gives me like if you you know there comes a time when we heed a certain call and the world must come together as one. You know that song? No. We are the world. There no, are I don't people know about, dying. I don't know about We Are the World because that is um, evil Hollywood doing things and we're supposed to ignore it. It's like a anti We Are the World is is like how I would describe this song. Well, this, that's this probably is, accurate. This is the anti We Are the World. Okay, do you want to do you want to do one more song because the the last one I picked out is actually a bona fide. So both of the two I've played so far are covers. Um it's a the Flagwave American is a cover of an old song and then the under or We Want America Back is a cover of a gos- a southern gospel song. The last one I want to play is actually a bona fide IFB original. Wait, th- this is a southern gospel the southern gospel made up a song called We Want America Back? Yes. That's f-ing weird. Okay, whatever. Um, I'm gonna skip that. What's this under God song? This is the this is the IFB for sure one. Half a century ago, two simple words declared the truth that's planted in our hearts and every time a flag is raised we've been honored to repeat the phrase so the world will know we are under god america's been blessed under god brought through trial and test we are sheltered by the mercy he chose to give in privilege and abundance this nation lives under god wait 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 hold on so is this song about the words under god being in the pledge of allegiance yes What else would it be about? <laughs> Why would you make a song about that? Because you're fundies. That is. And that is very, very inspiring to you. And they're just like, it was the greatest thing 50 years ago. Somebody put this saying in the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes, like, let's write a musical theater, theater-esque song about it. And when we play that song at youth conference, it will make everybody cry and come down to the altar. God. Saw it with my own eyes, Gabby. So you see this like this CD cover. If you, I, I will have this link for you. If you click on the link to this song under God... The CD cover, it's like a uh, sunlight shining through a tree, and it says the title of the CD is Jesus Has Risen by the Highlander Singing Men. So that's Hiles Anderson Campus in the picture, um, as far as I know. Nice-looking campus. Sure looks like like it. Nice tree. I think think that's a a dorm building, like off, like right above the word men, Mm -hmm. if I'm 
not completely wrong on how I'm looking at this image. The Highlander singing men were the tour group that um, were like, you know, my one direction when I was 15. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is the tour group that I had posters of on my wall as a kid. Like that year of Highlander singing men. That's incredible. this entire album. If you go through and listen to this entire um, album, seems maybe like not the right word. But if you go through and listen to every song from this particular CD on YouTube, Mixtape, playlist. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a CD. But if you go through and listen to every song, you will know exactly what I was jamming to. Like what was on my one gigabyte iPod shuffle when I was fifteen, sixteen. This, this, I just find it absurd that this is like. That, that, that this is the pinnacle of ifb music my friend they would make a song about the world like i i remember annoying people being like why is under god and the pledge of allegiance like when people were, i'm just like why the f- are we saying the pledge of allegiance to begin you know what i'm saying right like, the the fact that there is a pledge that children are forced to say is as, prob- is as problematic as having the words under God in it. Like sometimes um, we'd say it in class, right? We, we'd say it in class or, or whatever. And I guess we'd never really say it before. And then 9-11 happened. And I guess we started saying it again because we're just like, and I guess we're doing this. But then sometimes like some kids would be like, I didn't say the under God part because I'm a bad. I'm just like, uh, okay. Like it's weird that we're saying this to begin with. <laughs> Like, good point, but also, that's yeah. not the extent of the problems. It says, um, uh, it says, uh, uh, in God we trust on our money. Like, that's not the weird thing, you know? Right. Uh, um, so, that was a tour through the the IFB patriotic songs. We're going to get to the rest of that in a minute. So but weird. we got to get through that, the, the 4th of July service part first. So, this is what you're listening to at the service. Yeah, There's, these are like some of some of many songs that could be pulled up through the month of July for IFB patriotic purposes. Uh, I remember having some kind of video presentation. I think it was for the 4th of July. I think it might have been made by the media department at First Baptist Church of Hammond. And then they sent it out for other churches to use it for their 4th of July services. Uh, I'm not sure if this is something we did more than once, but I know that there existed at one point just like a overly emotional, I don't know, like an America promo reel, like a commercial for America, but not like a regular commercial, like one of those commercials that's supposed to make you cry, like a Christmas commercial, but for America. Or like the Sarah McLaughlin dog commercials. Yes, that, (laughs) but for America. So what I'm what I'm picturing is uh, footage of soldiers returning from deployment and being reunited with their pets. Sure, but uh, like superimposed over a fluttering American flag and with the swell of bagpipes and the oh, <laughs> oh sh- bagpipes! I forgot about the bagpipes. Gavi, I have to tell you about bagpipes. Oh my god, I cannot believe I forgot this. I've heard of, I've heard of bagpipes, Sadie. They're they're a well known <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Okay, yes, but (laughs) have you ever, like, been at services and um, a bagpiper comes in to play in the middle of service? No, there aren't usually bagpipers in a klezmer band. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. So so I don't know that why a Scottish instrument is an American patriotic thing. Um, but our church had bagpipers come in for like 4th of July and Veterans Day and September 11th memorial services. And it was a big deal because the church allowed them to wear kilts something something it's a man's garment not a woman's garment i don't know but we would have bagpipers come in and like march down the aisle in a procession and play a song it was a huge thing do you think it's like a military thing or like a, I, I know like police like yeah. police funerals there's bagpipes yeah right? I, yeah i don't know i don't know uh, i honestly think it's just because bagpipes make people feel feelings about things and this entire thing is about trying to produce the emotions that they're going for i think that the thing that people feel when they hear bagpipes is why the f- is somebody playing bagpipes i wanted them to immediately stop <laughs> playing bagpipes so i don't have to hear bagpipes anymore i know you're a, an accordion apologist and i get that um <laughs> And I, you know, as uh, as as a Jewish man, as somebody who appreciates the klezmer music, I am an accordion sympathizer. But bagpipes are where I draw the line, except for, uh, y- you know, uh, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll by ACDC. Yes. 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 Probably not the desired effect, though. Probably not the same thing that I have fear going for. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would assume not. What's what are they going to talk about in the sermon, though? That's because okay. that's like your main course, right? Of yeah. Your- so the sermon for the Fourth of July service would be something on theme, something about how God has chosen America to be a light to the world, how He has blessed America so much by making us the wealthiest and greatest country in the world, and He's given us all these freedoms. Uh, usually, here would be where the sermon goes into a bit about how. Christians in China or someplace else are persecuted and not allowed to own Bibles. Um, and we are so lucky that we have a Christian nation where we are not, or where we have, where we are persecuted, but we're also allowed to practice our religion freely. Kind of a gray area there. Uh, also, all like, then the sermon will talk about like all the terrifying things that are happening in the world like abortions and queer people existing and public schools trying to steal our children and how if we don't pray for our country and there's the lightheaded feeling (laughs) (laughs) if we don't pray for our country and live upright and righteous lives god is going to remove his hand of blessing from america and we are all going to have our bibles taken away and end up living under communism or get uh smushed by various weapons of mass destruction and then after that there would be an altar call we would all go down front we would cry 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 promise to pray for america more so that god wouldn't let the gays and the communists take us over and that's that's about it good times sadie triggered <laughs> herself sadie triggered herself listen sadie listen man on this episode you should have known this was gonna happen <laughs> oh man God. i just i don't know what's gonna happen i don't know it's coming until i get lightheaded yeah i'm fine i'm fine when but i act- get this feeling i need trigger myself yeah <laughs> But after after all that, we got to do a picnic, so that was okay. Ah. This is the part of the episode where I wish my dad was still with us because, number one, I would love to ask him what he was thinking with the bagpipes. Sorry, dad. The bagpipes, that's a choice that I get. 
like I under like bagpipes um, equals so it's like a marching instrument. Marching equals military. You know, so like, so just like as far as my dad, like the IFB way of viewing the Fourth of July is like as much emotion and just like cheesiness as possible. And my dad went to military school. So he had a little bit more of a sense for decorum and it was a constant war between. So like what he wanted to put on was a very um, high decorum and high drama and, you know, patriotism, the American flag, our country. And what the IFB wanted was just like America. Yeah, that, that right. So it was a constant war between my father's love of uh, pageantry and IFB traditions, which played out in a lot of ways in my childhood. But I would also love to have been able to ask him what the schedule was like, because I think it was different in different years, but I'm having to just rely on my own memories. So anyway, um, if this episode, if this little section of the episode is a little disorganized, blame my dad for not being here. Uh, I remember if the 4th was on a weekend, so if there were going to be fireworks on the Sunday night, we would have the morning service, we'd have a, we'd go to the park or have a cookout on the church grounds, and then we'd have a Sunday afternoon service outdoors instead of a night service, and then we would all watch the fireworks together, which was generally my favorite way for 4th of July to go down. I'm sure if if the 4th of July wasn't close enough to the weekend that there would be fireworks on the Sunday night, our schedule would change a little bit. So if the 4th of July wasn't on a Sunday, you'd have to... What, so would you have a service on the 4th and also on the Sunday? Because you'd have it on the Sunday no matter what. Would you also have a service on the 4th? No, not unless the 4th was on a Wednesday. Okay. Huh. But I think I think if the 4th was... I think we would, yeah, we would just have the big 4th of July service on the Sunday, usually the Sunday before, but the Sunday closest to the holiday. So all the, it would always be the same, like, patriotic service, but if if the 4th was not on a Sunday, we might have the cookout on the 4th, or we might have the cookout on the Sunday closest to the 4th. I'm pretty sure we just moved it around differently in different years. So the, the thing that I, I guess is still just not clicking with me is the way that 4th of July is treated as a religious holiday, as if it was on par with Easter or Christmas. It's not treated as a religious holiday. You would think it would be with with so much crossover between religion and nationalism on this one particular day. It's actually treated more like an American holiday with big religious elements. I don't think I ever heard anyone question why the church needs to pay so much credence and spend so much time and energy on a American holiday. I just don't understand. Like, if it's a holiday you celebrate in church, why doesn't that make it a religious? Huh? I'm sorry. I this is just a disconnect. Maybe it's just cultural. Do they believe that? I'm trying to. I'm trying to make it work in my head. So, do they believe that it is their duty as Christians that they're Christians, and so it is their duty as Christians to be patriotic Americans, and therefore celebrate the holiday like in in church with all of like the pomp and circumstance sort of but also christians don't have a religious imperative to celebrate anything actually at least not 
IFB Christians. Right. Okay. I keep remembering because we, yeah, religious holidays are not the same for Christians because I know that we have commandments that say celebrate this holiday. Like, right. And, and some of them are really, really serious and some of them are a little more fun. Like it's a commandment and it says celebrate X holiday by doing X. Like, yeah. And some of them are like getting drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Several I mean, of them. Well, Purim is Purim isn't in the Torah. There's like f- there's like five major holidays that are that are like in, in they're like commanded and they're like you know it's like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, uh, Pesach, and Shavuot, and those are the ones that it's like actually like commanded do like X thing for this holiday, and it says that in the Torah. But yeah, and we don't ones. we don't have that at all, especially not in Protestantism. The Catholics have something slightly more like that. Like Catholics have, we have holy days of obligation, which, but it isn't celebrate. It's you've got to go to mass on this day unless you have a very, very good reason not to or a dispensation from your archbishop. Right. Cause, cause all, cause the Bible was written after Jesus died. So you're not going to. So and it's going to be stuff that Jesus. So it's it, Jesus isn't going to say, "Hey, I'm about to die. Make sure you celebrate the day that I die, and then then I'm going to come back in three days. Make sure you celebrate that day too." Like he's not going to do that, right? No. So what we have is we have um, in Protestantism they okay. don't have uh, days of obligation in like most in any Protestant denomination that I'm aware to, aware of. In the Catholic Church, we have holy days of obligation. We have feast days and fast days like Lent. And then we have Eucharist, which is that is the celebration of when Jesus died or the remembrance of when Jesus died. But it's not done on a certain day. It's done when it's done like when we have Eucharist, which in the Catholic Church is every mass. And in a lot of Protestant churches, communion will be on a schedule. So it'll be every month or every two weeks or every six months or whatever. There isn't that concept in Christianity of you've got to do these things on this day it's religiously mandated to celebrate or honor or remember this thing by doing this other thing. So the the elements of what actually is done on a particular holiday, that's all optional. Even observing the holiday other than Christmas and Easter is optional. Okay, that, that makes a lot more sense to me from a theological perspective. Yeah, it's from, a cultural uh, thing. Okay, cool. I Okay, celebrating America is like because your holidays aren't specifically commanded that you have to celebrate them so it's not weird that you would celebrate like a a, a american holiday in the same similar way that you would celebrate a religious okay right that cool okay i get that now other question is this strictly like an american thing or is this like a christian thing worldwide what what i'm getting is that and i'm thinking largely of like other majority christian nations like nation, I guess nations in Europe or, you know, the, the people there will have been Christians for like thousand, fifteen hundred years. And the national identity will be like Christian or it'll be Catholic or something or, or Lutheran or, or whatever, depending on the, the country it is. I'm trying to think of it. So would, would fundies in Canada celebrate Canada Day the same way that American fundies would celebrate Fourth of July? I look. I my gut feeling is no. So I looked up a list of IFB churches in Canada, and I checked out the websites for about ten or so, ten or fifteen of them, I think. 
um, tried to get one in every province if I could. I lost count of how many I looked at. Uh, so I first, when I pulled up the website, I checked to make sure that they are IFB, King James only, that kind of thing. And I didn't find, and then I checked their calendar and their announcements and their upcoming event sections to see if I found a Canada Day celebration coming up. I didn't find one. So I, so I guess it really is American, huh? I get, well, you don't really hear of Canadian exceptionalism, do you? Not unless you're <laughs> married to my Canadian husband. <laughs> ah, yeah. uh, ki- kidding aside, I will say his realize his reasons for idealizing Canada are a bit more valid than people who worship the United States. <laughs> for the record, I don't think it's fair to idealize the country that gave us Justin Bieber, but I do think it's fair to idealize the country that gave us Rush. So. 50 50 on that one <laughs> but well it also it also gave us my husband so and i am you know a fan of him great great man historically great man and like anyway what i'm what i'm trying to get so i i guess i get why people celebrate fourth of july it just i still i don't get why it's in the church but whatever you know so on well on one level it's a church event because there are plenty of churches that do something for lots of holidays that aren't specifically religious like there, there are churches who sing uh, all songs that are about the love of God, and then they have a sermon on love for Valentine's Day. Oh, right. Or, we talked about with the Valentine's Day banquet. So this yeah, is so like that's not okay. super weird. Or they give out flowers for Mother's Day, and they have a Thanksgiving service, and none of those are Christian specific. So acknowledging that it is the Fourth of July, or having some kind of patriotic thing in a service, isn't isn't really what we're talking about here. Okay. Because this goes a lot deeper than that, I think. Yeah, and I suppose if you're IFB, chances are, like, all your friends are also going to be IFB. So if you're, what, like, what are you going to do for 4th of July? Are you going to have a 4th of July barbecue? Who are you going to invite? All the people you go to church with, right? And then that way, no one's going to be mad that there's no beer. Uh, People are going to respect the flag coder or whatever you're trying to do. Like, you know, people are just going to be fine with you deciding to include Jesus into your celebration. And then, you know, that's your community. Why wouldn't you just make it an official church event anyway? Right. But you also might make it an official church event if it were a way to mask Christian nationalism in a normal holiday celebration and deepen people's belief in the specific IFB views of America and patriotism. I guess. <laughs> ah, yeah. <Right. laughs> so I I think, you know, we've had fun clowning on the IFB's uh, over-the-top displays of patriotism so for tech. July 4th, but I think the issues with Christian nationalism go a lot deeper than that. How so? Let's go take up the offering, and when we come back, we can try to find out where the IFB version of America and patriotism came from, from the bottom up. That sounds great. Let's do that. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are back. Back from our break, um, I want to back up to a couple of things that we talked about in the first half. Um, All the stuff with... where you made noises and I was like, just wait, just wait. All that stuff? Yeah. Okay. All that stuff. Okay. okay. <laughs> so in the sermon, you said that the fundies believe that America has been chosen by God. Yes. So on what specifically is this belief based is there a theological basis for this is there a scriptural basis for this what is going on here so the answer to that question is a little is a little deeper than you might think it's a thing you hear uh, america is a christian nation or if you were raised in the ifb or similar you probably heard a lot about bringing america back to god yeah that and that's not just an ifb thing that's a thing that you hear like mainstream Republican presidential candidates say, like right. you'll hear like neoconservatives say, like that's been part of the mainstream political discourse of this country as long as like I can remember being aware of it. And for the most part, I think hot take, I like they're, they're right. It's true. I think that America, not like not that the country is officially a Christian nation or should be a Christian nation, but that this country, the reality is that it is very much a case of Christians first, everybody else second. And I think one of the most common questions that people ask me is, why is that? I didn't look into it very much until I was researching for this episode. I would have thought that it went back to the 1950s. And this is when we saw the inclusion of the under God phrase in the Pledge of Allegiance. We were talking Which the IFB had to commemorate with a song. <laughs> right. Um, but the pledge wasn't originally written with Under God in the text that was added post-World War II. The National Day of Prayer, the National Prayer Breakfast, all of that came around post-World War II. And I would have thought that that was when this major push of America is a, a special chosen nation by God. I would have thought it all went back to that era. But in reality, the idea goes back. I mean, it goes back before there was an America. So the idea of America being a Christian nation goes back to just after the Revolutionary War. Brand really? new Americans had oh. just separated from England which by virtue of the Church of England being a thing, was unequivocally officially a Christian nation. I just found this out. Did you know that nine out of the original 13 colonies used public tax dollars to fund religion? 
And many of those colonies had a official on paper recognized religion or denomination of the colony. So I didn't know that it was nine out of the 13. I remember learning about religious tolerance in colonial America when I was in middle school, like when we were learning about, you know, pre-revolutionary America. I remember specifically that William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, made the official religion of Pennsylvania Quaker, but that anyone was allowed to live there so long as they were Christian. And he was deemed like very religiously tolerant for. (laughs) Right, because Maryland was the Catholic colony. Yes. So so between the Declaration of Independence and then the signing of the Bill of Rights a few years later, this was a big debate. So I did learn about that. Because this is what led to the inclusion of the Establishment Clause in the Bill of Rights. So this is the clause that states that uh, states may not establish an official church or an official religion. Like, you, you I, I do have to wonder how this country would have been different if there was an official like church of America with bishops and like archbishops and like, you know, the way that, um, yeah, there, I just, the church of England. I just think if we had that, the vestments would be the tackiest thing you can possibly imagine. Oh God. Yeah. The liturgical garments would be so bad. Y'all. They would be, you know what they would be? They'd be in tricorn hats and, no, um, see, I was thinking more like, have you ever seen like evil Knievel in a white jumpsuit with an American flag patch? And before he does his motorcycle trick, he's wearing like a giant stars and stripes cape with yes. like white feathers and silver glitter on it. That's what the priest vestments would be for the Church of America. <laughs> <laughs> but what we actually need to get into is how did this happen? Using Christian language, what what we might call Christianese or Christian jargon, to describe America is older than America is. I read an article by Dr. Catherine Breckis that laid this out really well. I've linked that for everyone because the next probably half hour of me talking is heavily based on her article, her speech, actually, that she gave. There was a sermon written by colonist leader John Winthrop possibly even written before the colonists arrived in what is now America, that said that the new colonies were supposed to be a city on a hill, which is a quote from scripture. The colonies, he thought, were supposed to be a shining example of God's faithfulness to the world. These sermons warned that if colonists did not live out their religion, if they did not live pure lives and follow God's will, they would be punished by God. So the concept of corporate blessing for an obedient godly nation and corporate punishment for a disobedient one comes over 100 years before there even was a nation. Wow. So like back in the 1600s. Yes. And of of course, I knew that the idea of like, God will reward you if you're good and punish you if you're bad was old. Of course, I knew that. I didn't know that it was applied corporately to specifically uh, America or pre-America colonial states that long ago. So so John Winthrop, is he considered, when you, when you were learning about American history, is John Winthrop, people like him, considered to be like a founding father, like pre-founding fathers or? They, so, so pilgrims and Puritans were 
studied as much as the like we studied as much about them as we did about the fun- the founding fathers in really? my curriculum. Yeah, we read mm-hmm. books by them. We read sermons. We talked about how they were so committed to their standards. <laughs> you remember, like these are Puritans. <laughs> the IFB was definitely interested in people with strict moral codes for all of society. <laughs> And like very binary gender roles. The IFB is all about that stuff. They thought this was all a great idea. So I like I remember learning about the early colonists. I, sorry, I, I, I gotta I go re- back. We read the scar <laughs> we sorry. Oh. We read the Scarlet Letter and the IFB was like, Yeah, we should do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? let's let's yes. So you I'm I'm just my my head is Yeah, the the take on the scarlet moving. letter was like, yeah, this is back when we punished adulterers instead of just letting them live in society with the rest of us godly people. Yeah, so you're reading this you're just like, yeah, man, f- this b-. she <laughs> Yes. clearly guilty. Wow. And I'm reading it like as like whatever high school age kid, and I was like, you know, I don't I don't think Hester is the villain actually. I don't think that's I don't think that's what he meant. It's oh, it would be weird to write a book from a villain's perspective back in those days, wouldn't it? Yeah, I I, I was just like, you know, it kind of seems like she's a victim of her circumstances. <laughs> don't say that out loud in class, man. You'll you'll oh, they'll bring your parents in to paddle you. <laughs> they didn't have to bring my parents in. My parents were in charge of the school. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I, I, like, I remember learning about the early colonists. Okay, like, I also, I, I remember learning about why so many of their settlements were, like, do you remember Jamestown? Did you read about Jamestown? Yeah, tons. And how it was, like, a complete cluster. Well, you that's know? because Jamestown wasn't religious. <laughs> <laughs> they were the they were the the non-religious colony because okay. Plymouth uh, was the religious colony and that's why they did so much better I mean relatively right still like half their people died well yeah that still. God was testing them <laughs> <laughs> okay so God Jesus I'm hmm. I mean, yeah, like I know, I know people are like study history, and you'll learn things. Like you study history, and you'll take all the wrong lessons away. That's the oh man. Okay, so like, okay, I remember learning about the early colon. I remember learning about the the Puritans. Yeah, well, we were taught that the vast majority of the first colonists were Puritans fleeing the persecution of the Church of England in search of religious liberty, and they wanted to make a whole new country based on religious liberty. I'm now maybe skeptical about the accuracy of that. So here's here's the thing. I, I was definitely taught about the religious liberty thing, too. That's definitely something that I, I heard about, that I learned about. And, like, I, I don't know, maybe other people perceived this differently. Maybe this is just my Jewish perspective, that when I was learning about the Puritans, I was just like, yo, f- these people. They're literally the worst. Um so like I I put a a poll out on Twitter like uh, a couple days before we're recording this episode I put a poll out on Twitter 
just because we were looking into this and we were thinking about this and I wanted to see what other people were taught. And I asked whether people were taught negative or positive things about the Puritans. Like, were they taught that they were cool or were they, and like 94, 95% of people said that they were taught positive things about the Puritans. Like they were taught the Puritans were good guys. Yeah. I mean, they have little children dress up as them. Even in public school, you'll see like little kids and black hats with buckles on their shoes doing stuff for Thanksgiving. I don't know. Like when I learned about the Puritans, I remember feeling very strong sympathies with the Britons who dug up Oliver Cromwell's body and beheaded him posthumously. Okay. So <laughs> like I I I know that's a controversial take like but you know when I found out that they did that I'm just like, you know what? I kind of see where those guys are coming from. This guy was a bastard. Like, <laughs> so I, I have a question for you. So in the first part of the episode, you mentioned America was, you, you, you said that America was mentioned in the old and the new Testament. Right. I should probably answer that question. <laughs> Please do because I am confounded. So, The reason that people think America is specifically mentioned in the Bible is that they have connected America and biblical Israel. How so? So this connection goes back before there even was a United States. The connection was forged during the Revolutionary War. I want to read you a quote from a sermon by the Reverend Nicholas Street. The title of the sermon is... Quote, the American states acting over the part of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And here's the quote that Dr. Breckus pulled from that sermon. The British tyrant is only acting over the same wicked and cruel part that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, acted toward the children of Israel about 3,000 years ago. So the original concept of this was America as a country is similar to biblical Israel, and we can take lessons from or inspiration from that. It's going to go much further than that, and I'll explain how. Okay, but that's like that's like basic stuff. That's like read the Bible and use lessons from the Bible in your own life, except apply that to your country. Yeah, it gets it gets weirder. So you'll remember the concept of one root theology, which I've told you about. Um, yes. Christians, if Christians believe that they are 100% literally a new branch off of the root of Judaism, they are also going to be fine with believing that America is a literal rebirth of biblical Israel. So all of this about America being a metaphorical rebirth or an allegorical rebirth of the nation of Israel was very prevalent in Revolutionary War times. Even Benjamin Franklin, who was far from the most religious founding father, wanted to include imagery of Moses parting the Red Sea on the official seal of the United States. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. So so this laid the groundwork to see America as a, at least a metaphorical rebirth of biblical Israel. And how it comes in in the New Testament is that the Apostle Paul's writings about spiritual liberty were used to retrofit the theocracy of ancient biblical Israel into some kind of defense of personal political freedom using the words of the Apostle Paul. That is fascinating. 
And then, of course, there's also the belief that America is mentioned in the Book of Revelation, uh, but that doesn't come until later when, like around the 1850s, when William Miller started taking Revelation a lot more literally than most people did. So what you're telling me is that all of this stuff about America being a Christian nation, America is chosen by God, this is based much more in, like, like this is legitimately rooted in America's cultural history. Even if it's even if it's not necessarily rooted in scripture, even if like it doesn't say America or the United States in any of the books in the Bible, this is legitimately rooted in America's cultural history, this belief. Huh. So the thing about scripture is that scripture is written in such a way that it invites personal interpretation. That's the way that many major religions tend to look at scripture. A lot of a lot. I mean, even I know that that Islam even recommends. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to read scripture and then internalize lessons from it. That is a very basic understanding of like this book wasn't written about me personally, but I can take personal lessons for my life from this book. We talked about the IFB take on this in the Satanism episodes, also in the Proverbs 31 episode that we did for Mother's Day how Christians tend to apply all or almost all of the scripture an extra level of personally as if it were written directly to them. So the basic view is like scripture is written for everybody to get lessons out of. The Christian view is this scripture was written directly for me personally. God knew that I would be reading the scripture when God dictated the Bible and God intends me to take personal lessons from it. Um, as if it were written for me. And then it's not too much of a leap, I think, that American religious people would look at scripture the way that they do. So they see personal applications to themselves in the story of David, in the story of Noah or Abraham or Ruth. Of course, they see direct personal applications to their country in the stories that involve biblical countries. So it's like main character syndrome, but with religion. Yes, exactly. Okay, wow. So how this developed is basically any time you see Israel mentioned in scripture, you can basically just substitute in America. What? Yeah. No way. Not that it's I have to explain this correctly. Ah. It's not anything that is written about okay. Anything that is written about King David can be applied to me. Anything that is written about Israel can be applied to America. I was really surprised that the America equals Israel thing has been around this long, to be honest. I thought this was maybe something that came along in the early 1900s, but it's not. This has been around since the Revolutionary War. Really? Okay, this is fascinating. I find this absolutely fascinating. I find it... Uns like it's it, like it's definitely unsettling to me for sure to hear about. Like I I do find it unsurprising though that the people who view themselves as the successor to the biblical Israelites are not maybe also particularly kind to the descendants of the actual biblical Israelites. But that's, well, that's kind of neither here nor there. Um, well, it's the replacement thing that we talked about in the Stephen Anderson episodes, right? Yes. If Christians are going to be super literal about the idea that we are a new branch of Judaism, 
It makes sense that Christians might get butthurt about Jewish people not accepting the thing that makes us different from the original branch, which is Jesus. Sorry, this is in in a Christian mindset. And if we don't manage that butthurt or temper it with understanding in any way or like, you know, a skosh of cultural awareness, that draws a very direct line to replacement theology. Like, we accepted their Messiah and they didn't, therefore God is done with them and we're the new chosen people. It's a classic case, honestly, of Christians not having boundaries and not understanding boundaries and not being able to manage our humanity and our human emotions without religion. So this is where I start getting into Christian humanism because I think Christians historically do extremely bad things when we try to manage our humanity with religion alone. I think that's very unhealthy. I'd also like to do a whole episode on that topic. I've already added it to the doc. <laughs> great, uh, great, great, great. <laughs> you were saying that, but no, I like I do find this fascinating. This is this is extremely enlightening. Yeah, it's- I think the I think the. The butthurt of that, I'm sorry, I don't have a fancier word, but the idea of, I think like the the idea of being a bit miffed, well, why don't you accept this thing that I accept? That's kind of a human emotion. It's the part where we allow that emotion to make us bad people who do bad things that I refuse to support. So interestingly, um, Phyllis Wheatley said that the comparison to Israel was wrong because Americans were the slaveholders in this scenario. I mentioned Phyllis Wheatley in the Abeka episode. She was the first Black woman ever to be a published poet. I'm just now finding out that she wrote this comparison. She wrote like a stunning takedown of this idea that America equals Israel. She's like, no, that can't be true because you are Egypt and the enslaved people are Israel because we're the ones who are enslaved. I did not know that she wrote this because Abeka chose to publish her pro-America poetry, but left out this detail about her personal beliefs. That's really interesting. That's like, uh, you know what white people do with the Martin Luther King quotes? Oof. You know, (laughs) we've all seen it. Yep. We've all seen that one guy uh, uh, on Facebook posting a picture of Martin Luther King in an All Lives Matter meme. (laughs) Anyway, no, like I, I I, I do think it goes to show that like everybody is going to view themselves as the good guys, right? Everybody identify, like everybody is going to read a story and they're all going to identify with the hero of the story, even when they're acting like villain. So that's where the concept of America being a chosen people came from. It came from a specific interpretation of the Old Testament um, and some influential people picking up on that interpretation and spreading it. That idea of we are a second chosen people or we are the new chosen people got combined with a lot of the Apostle Paul's writing in the New Testament. So a topic that he hit a lot was the idea of freedom. He talked about the freedom and liberty of Christians from Jewish law. So Paul's take was, and I think this is like a a pretty decent take, if you became a Christian and you still want to keep the Jewish law out of tradition because it's like what all your ancestors did, that's fine, but you're not obligated to. People who choose to keep those laws shouldn't judge people who don't choose to keep those laws, and people who don't choose to keep those laws shouldn't judge people who do. This obviously has nothing to do with American Christian nationalism. 
he used the words freedom and liberty a whole lot. Some word association games got played, and Paul's writings were used to confirm this idea from the Old Testament about America being the new chosen nation, because we've got liberty and freedom. Wasn't Paul also the guy who would track down Christians and then kill them? Right. And then he got knocked off his horse and turned blind and God talked to him. And he said, man, I'm so sorry for doing all that. And God said, it's chill. And then he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Uh, ACAB includes the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So I was, <laughs> that was a good one. So I was really, okay, yes, never mind. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. So I was really interested to learn that the concept of America being a chosen people, having a special and set apart relationship with God, being a direct analogy to biblical Israel was older than I assumed. I think what people would be more familiar with is the concept of manifest destiny. So Manifest Destiny was the idea that God intended for America to own and occupy and spread Christianity across the entire North American continent. So this is interesting because so when I was in fourth, I grew up in Oregon. Fourth grade is state history, right? That That's right, right? Yeah. Fourth grade is state history. Don't ask um, me. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't. I should <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but like, uh, so fourth grade was when we learned about Oregon, uh, Oregon history. So it was all like Oregon Trail and we learned about Manifest Destiny. I don't remember the God part of it, though, which is weird. It was just like Manifest Destiny. Yes, we're going to go uh, off. It's, it was almost more like a spirit of adventure kind of thing. Yeah, that's the way not that what Manifest it. Destiny was. No, but that's kind of how I interpreted it when I learned about it. And it was taught almost as like a good thing. So where where exactly does Manifest Destiny come into, like, what's the theological basis for Manifest Destiny? I, I like that's because that's interesting to me. So the theological basis for Manifest Destiny is why the thing about America equals Israel matters. So it's specifically related to the story of the people of Israel coming into Canaan. I'm sure you're really familiar with this story. Do you want to do the cliff notes? Sure. Okay. So here we go. Okay. So the Israelites are the descendants of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. But Jacob, cool guy, fought an angel and survived and then changed his name to Israel. Uh, hence, all the, the people are, are the children of Israel. Uh, sons of Israel, Israelites, whatever uh, you want to call them, what have you. Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob. Joseph's brothers uh, are envious of his status as Jacob's favorite son, so they decide to sell him into slavery. Long story short, Joseph ends up in Egypt. God gives him visions of the future, and he uses this information to help Pharaoh prepare for an upcoming uh, drought, famine, what have you, yada, yada, yada. Has has very high status within Egypt. Everyone likes him. Um, reunites with his brothers, forgives them, and then Jacob and all of his descendants uh, come down to Egypt. Everything's great, having a good time. Then Egypt decides to enslave the Israelites because they think that they're too numerous, too strong. Some time goes by, a few, I think like a few hundred years or whatever. Moses uh, has the help of God to lead the Israelites and also many Egyptian slaves out of slavery um, and across the sea to 
the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai. Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days to receive the commandments from God, comes back down, sees that the people are participating in idolatry and worshiping a golden calf. So he smashes the tablets, got to go back up again, get more tablets, comes back down with the commandments, and then they wander in the desert for 40 years. And as their journey is nearing its end, need water in the desert, need water. Moses asks God for water, but then he asks him twice, I guess. And God's like, why'd you ask me twice? You're never going to the promised land. Sorry, you're going to die before they get before you get there. Basically, they get there and before crossing into the crossing over into the promised land, uh, which is Canaan, Moses dies. But before he dies, he gives uh, his, I guess, final um, tor- he, he gives the, or God gives the final Torah, the final piece of Torah, which is chronicled in the book of Deuteronomy. And Joshua leads the Israelites into the land of Canaan and they conquer Canaan. And then more stuff happens. But that's basically it. So specifically, the Israelites are told by God, this whole land is for you. Conquer anyone who is in it and take the whole land. Yes. This, by the way, this is where we get the familiar story of the Battle of Jericho for all y'all who were maybe not raised fundy, but definitely saw more than a few episodes of VeggieTales. So Manifest Destiny comes partially from the Israelites being told to conquer the whole land because the belief was and is that what applies to Israel in the Bible applies to America. So we Americans are supposed to conquer and take the whole land. And just like it was morally fine for the people of Israel to kill all the inhabitants of the city of Jericho if they wanted to. It doesn't matter what we do to the indigenous people who lived here before we got here because we have the destiny to take over and conquer this whole land. That's where it comes from. Uh, yeah. When God is telling them to conquer the land, he like spe- it specifically says, these are the borders of the land that you will conquer. Right. I mean, it, yeah, he's not saying take over this whole continent. It's 3,000 miles wide. Just go nuts saying New Jersey is for the Italians. That's <laughs> but but God says the whole land and our whole land is just a lot bigger. But like if it was the whole land, they'd have been saying take over from like, is, is that all? Like, But listen. When Christians are appropriating Judaism, have you ever seen the Christians actually want to play by the rules of what that means? No. Ever? No. These are the same people who have Jesus satyrs and don't even make an attempt at being kosher. Like, on top of the fact that doing that is incredibly like appropriative and insulting to begin with. And just before, just for anybody back there, I'm not trying to play apologist for uh, murdering the Canaanites. It was like 3,000 years ago. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, like, you you didn't do that. It's just the story that exists about your many times removed ancestors. Maybe there was a better way for them to handle it, possibly. I don't know. Uh, I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I, I wouldn't i wouldn't worry about that yeah uh. it's a yeah so this goes back to what i was saying about the bible and specifically the old testament being more than anything a collection of biographical stories the root of christian nationalism is 
this interpretation of scripture that the characters contained in these stories are not just characters. They aren't just stories to glean in for inspiration from. They are direct analogies for us in our present lives. This type of interpretation, it puts the individual in the shoes of a biblical character. So when you are reluctant to witness to somebody, you become Jonah. And whatever bad thing happens to you next, from a setback at work or a sprained ankle, all the way up to the tragic death of a friend or family member, is God killing your gourd to punish you for not witnessing, just like what he did to Jonah. When you are angry, you are Moses smashing the tablets. And when an IFB pastor commits sex crimes, he is King David. He's still going to be used of God. He may be punished by God, but you are to forgive him. The sins and failures and successes of these characters are superimposed extremely literally onto your life and your actions, and you are held responsible for doing better than they did. Wait, I want to go back real quick. Okay, um, and then I hear Chuck waking up, so whatever whatever you ask me will be done after that. Wait, you were told that it was a bad thing that Moses smashed the tablets, that he was angry and he shouldn't have done that. Yes. I mean, it was, it was the people were sinning by making the golden calf, but Moses still messed up God's plan even further because he did, he acted in anger. No, I, what? No, I thought that it was that Moses had to smash the tablets because the people, like the, the people of Israel, the, the people who are worshiping the golden calf did not deserve the oh, gift of I've Torah. Never when heard that one before. Were, you've never, you've, I mean, that stands to reason, right? That he, like, he would, like, no, that, that makes sense. He's coming down the mountain and he's, and they're like, hey, check out this idol that we've got that we've worshiped. He's like, I've, like, literally, like, cut this shit out right now or I will smash these goddamn tablets. It's like the dad being like, stop, stop poking your brother or I will turn this car around. I, I swear to God. And then they don't stop. And you're like, you know what? I'm turning the car around. I told you, you weren't supposed to do this. Like what? Or, or, or is he not supposed to? No. So the the interpretation that I I always heard is obviously the greater sin was the people who made and were worshiping an idol, but Moses also sinned because he acted in anger and destroyed the word of God. Like he was, it was right for him to be angry because they were doing a thing that was worth being angry about, but it was not right for him to react to that anger and destroy the word of god what was he supposed to do instead just like i don't not, know just say you shouldn't do that and chide them and then like <laughs> nothing happens no he's gonna be like no now we've got to wait another 40 days sorry uh you're right well when here. when they had to wait another 40 days that's because moses messed up god's original plan by smashing the tablets you can't let us have anything man god like, <laughs> but also like we're going to talk a little bit more about biblical like Bible worship a little bit in this episode and then we'll have a future episode on it because the we'll get it we'll get there. I can't start now. But this is such an easy step to believing that your country is a country portrayed in the Bible that the connections you see in behavior are more than just coincidence and that the biblical messages about that country are meant for your country right now just as much as they were meant for the country depicted in the Bible. The Exodus story 
is such a powerful story of redemption from slavery that it has been used by any number of groups throughout history. People that we would agree with the metaphor and people that we wouldn't agree. Even a century after Benjamin Franklin wanted to portray America as Israel coming out of Egypt and portray Britain as Egypt, enslaved people used the same analogy to portray themselves as Israel and America as Egypt. And then decades after that, suffragettes used the same narrative to portray their fight for voting rights. And then decades after that, Martin Luther King Jr. used the same analogy. It is it is such a powerful narrative that lots of people see themselves in it. The issue here is that just like a great movie, a powerful story can be used by anyone to analogize their position, regardless of whether or not their position has any merit at all. It's like, um, okay, so think about The Matrix, the concept of being red-pilled. We now know that that was an analogy for realizing that you are trans, specifically. But in general, uh, being red-pilled means being awakened to a truth about how the world works that you had previously spent your entire life blind to. It's a powerful analogy. You could use the analogy of being red-pilled to describe coming to an awareness about the IFB movement and eventually getting out. But that same analogy gets used by men's rights activists, anti-feminists, to represent their position. The Exodus story is so powerful. It's such such a potent story, but that very power and potency lends it to being used by a lot of different people. You know, it's too bad that nobody told them that when you make America out to be the successor to Israel, you are literally worshiping a golden calf. That is like in the in the Exodus story. That is literally the definition of what you are doing. Literally the definition of idolatry. It is. I. I yes, it's idolatry. <laughs> it's the idolatry that causes pastors to preach the Constitution from the pulpit, which I, I have seen with my own eyes. It's very the, weird. Or heard with my own ears, I guess. It is the idolatry that led thousands of evangelical pastors to openly support Trump and make that a religious issue for their congregations. It's the idolatry that causes political candidates speaking at a church's Sunday morning service to seem normal. It's the idolatry that causes churches to pledge allegiance to the American flag in their church services. The idolatry that led Jack Scott to intertwine patriotism with prayer and desires for genocide with the book of Daniel in a message called America, America. I don't want to make a claim that this one specific biblical literalism plus main character syndrome plus America America equals Israel weird blend of cultural appropriation and anti-Semitism is the only thing that defines Christian nationalism or is the only thing that would make people commit atrocities because there are certainly other factors. But this is the one that I wanted to explore because this is the one I feel like people who weren't raised in this religion do not get. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to back up a little bit. By all means. Yeah. Like now I'm, I'm like actually understanding where this comes from. It makes so much more sense to me, but also it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I, I, so this idea that stories in the Bible are allegorical to whatever is going on in your life right now. So you, you've said that's a fundy thing. 
Yes. That's an idea that I still do not understand. That 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 is really difficult for me to wrap my head around. So you're going to to read a story in the Bible and read something that's happening in that story. And then some one thing that happens in that story that is similar to the thing that's happening to you. That means literally everything else in the story is the same thing as happens as is going to happen next in the story if you act in the same way. That is yes. Um, is that am I getting that right? You're mo- for the most part, yeah. You're you're getting that right. Um, what? So actually, this was totally random, and I didn't write this into the episode originally. But this quote from John MacArthur uh, came across my Twitter today, and it's a really brief quote, so I'll just read it. Sola Scriptura means that everything necessary. Everything binding on our consciences and everything God requires of us is given to us in scripture. So the What does that mean? The idea is that everything you could ever possibly need to know is found in the scripture. This is the idea behind uh, the wisdom booklets. Remember, like we learn math from the Bible, we learn science from the Bible, we learn grammar from the Bible. So it, it, it's the idea that Everything a person could ever need to know is in the Bible if you look hard enough. And that includes another uh, fundyism that I've heard a million times, if I've heard once, is um, the Bible is a love letter to you from God. So what the idea behind this particular brand of biblical literalism is that every human knowledge that is necessary to know is contained in the Bible and the Bible was penned personally for you. So when God dictated the scripture to the auth- the human writers of scripture, God had you in mind and worded it in such a way that it would be meaningful to your particular life. Uh, what? Well, not you, I'm because sorry. you're not a Christian, I'm- but all of us. <laughs> I am so like, this is so weird to me. And then you add in, okay, but then you add in the King James Version people and the King James Version people not only believe that, but they also believe in an every word Bible, which means that every word in the King James Version is translated exactly as God would have willed it when God dictated the Bible in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Uh, So, God dictated it to the original translators. God preserved the original documents throughout roughly 1,600 years. Then the King James Bible translators translated into English with the help of God so that that personalized nature of Scripture still comes through for me and my pastor and my other church members. And not only that, it gets one step weirder. There, There's this verse in, in the book of John. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I can quote most of that chapter, but I won't uh, take up any more time with that. The Word was God. So they believe that Jesus Christ was the physical incarnation of the Bible on earth, which means... Uh, if you think about that in reverse, you realize that they have elevated the Bible to uh, equivalence with a member of the Trinity. It is literally Bible worship, and it is idolatry. And if I ever said something on this show that the fundies would possibly literally tie me to a stakeover, that's it. 
what that that biblical literalism is idolatry yes and that and that um and that anybody who is a king james onlyist no let me let me rephrase that um people who believe in verbal inspiration in the english of king james version are bible worshipers and that that is idolatry as well i i I just find it so contradictory that these people can view the bible as allegorical to their own lives yet they believe in the literal struggle between the forces of god and the forces of the devil i i hmm. so before i I answer that (laughs) before i answer that query i do have to say biblical literalism is idolatry is an accurate representation of my position i really do mean the extreme verbal inspiration of the king james type like if you believe that jonah really did get swallowed by a whale because the bible says it I have my personal doubts on the literal versus metaphorical or allegorical meaning of that story. But if you believe it literally happened, I'm not calling you an idolater just because of that. It's it's the um, the worship of the King James in particular and the every word King James position that I am calling idolatry. But it's not contradictory <laughs> that people view the Bible as allegorical to their own lives, but they believe in a literal struggle between the forces of God and the forces of evil. Because what you might not be aware of is that the New Testament is absolutely full of the idea of a constant literal struggle between God and Satan played out on earth between Christians and non-Christians that ends in the book of Revelation with the end times and Armageddon. There's a passage uh, early on in the New Testament where Jesus has a verbal in-person argument with the devil. So literally the entire New Testament from start to finish is is around this idea. When Americans, to, to go back to the topic of this episode and kind of try to put this all together for you, when Americans tied religion in with World War II, when they believed that America was sent to be the hero of the world, when abolitionists from Phyllis Wheatley to Harriet Beecher Stowe to Martin Luther King used the Exodus narrative, and to be clear, I think this was a very fair analogy in those particular cases to I mean, a literal ne- slavery. Yeah, I mean it is I I usually I am I am touchy about using an analogy of another culture's genocide or slavery to compare to anything in your life if you're not a part of that culture, but this one is it's so literal. I think it's a great I think it's a perfectly fine analogy. Obviously, it's literal slavery. And it's not like the it's not like the, the the slaves had any choice as to whether or not they could uh, as to what gods they were allowed to be worshiping, you know they had they kind of had this whole Christian theology uh, pushed upon them, and then yes, and I mean, that wasn't their choice, you know. I'm like if they want to use the the slavery exodus metaphor, especially you know they're actually slaves. So I've I've started. Know, this I'm can, not mad at it. No, at this. <laughs> But when when abolitionists used the Exodus narrative to analogize the struggle for Black Americans' freedom and then civil rights, and when Ronald Reagan called America a shining city on a hill, quoting Winthrop, and built his campaigns around catering to evangelicals, all of that was calling back to the same thing, which I don't think is something I realized before researching for this episode. We talked about the American monomyth, right? Yes. Uh, we've talked about that before, especially with World War II. 
with this story, obviously there's some problems. Like, for instance, the World War II analogy where America is is chosen by God to save the world. I simply, at least from my perspective, I don't understand why America sees itself as the hero. I like I really don't. Because, like, historically speaking, this, like, it's just not accurate. Like, because, you know, we stayed out of the war until we had literally no other option. I mean, like, I know we all saw, like, Captain America when, like, 90 pounds Steve Rogers is, is, like, taken on the bullies and then he gets, like, his super soldier serum and then he's strong enough to do it. But, like, he was always standing up for what was right and he, you know, he didn't have the strength. But, like, this was the opposite, you know, like, because America had the strength to, make a difference but we just didn't have the motivation like the state department was refusing entry to jewish refugees even they were f- though they were fully aware that there was a genocide going on they weren't protecting their allies they weren't protecting their like the innocents you know america only got involved when we got attacked and then after the war ended rather than hold people accountable they, you know, divided up the brains. They divided them up with the Soviets, like the scientists. We got half. The Soviets got half. And then all of the higher ups, you know, they just I guess they ran off to Argentina or they, you know, ran off to Egypt and we didn't do anything about it. Like, for instance, Joseph Mengele died of a stroke while swimming in Brazil in 1979. Like Johan von Leers moved to Egypt and he changed his name to Omar Amin and he became like the chief propagandist for Abdel Nasser's regime in Egypt. Like the United States knew that Adolf Eichmann was hiding in Argentina and actively tried to prevent Mossad from tracking him down and and making him stand trial. Like I just really, I I get that there's like an overarching meta-narrative of America being the good guy, but when you actually look at it, from like an, an actual historical point of view, that's not always the case. I, that doesn't mean that I think we're like evil or anything. I just think that, you know, we, we've we used this to really like, I guess this biblical, like this hero, this Messiah narrative around ourselves to really just delude ourselves from what actually happens. And when anything contradicts that, you know, we just throw a f-ing tantrum and start burning all the books. So it's- the reason that America sees itself as the hero in World War II, when in, in the context of what we've been talking about today, is that Jesus said that his followers are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, an illuminating and preservative force for all that is right and good. Uh, literally, that the presence of Christians in a place or a country would prevent through the power of God some of the bad things, at least, that would have happened. Just like the presence of salt on food slows down spoilage. So America's status as the new chosen people, calling back to the Exodus story, has been set in our cultural consciousness for so long that now there is a belief that America is meant to be the salt for the entire world, the preservation, the light for the entire world, the illumination, and that whatever America does must be good because it is our destiny to be salt and light. I think the axis on which all of this turns is that with being chosen comes authorization from God for whatever you're going to do. So if God has chosen a country to carry out his will on earth, then like the Israelites were told to conquer Canaan and kill the inhabitants in battle if needed, the country God has chosen 
has God's permission to do whatever they need to do to conquer. Every war becomes a holy war, and acts of violence are permissible because they were commanded by God, because it's part of conquering, which is what we were commanded to do. And yes, this covers acts of violence against true enemies, like Nazis, people who threaten the safety of the entire world. But it also covers acts of violence against Vietnamese children and families in Afghanistan who are accidentally killed by drones. It covers acts of violence against women, against LGBTQ people, and it covers acts of violence against elected leaders trying to certify an election in the Capitol building. As long as you truly believe that those people are trying to thwart God's plan and you are trying to keep God's plan going. If you see yourself as a modern-day Joshua taking the land of Canaan that God has already declared to be yours, whatever you need to do to accomplish that is fair game. So look back to the story of Israel. At multiple points in the story, God allows them to be defeated, to lose a battle, to be enslaved in Egypt, or taken captive by the Babylonians like in Daniel's time. Under Joshua's leadership, a battle was lost because of sin in the camp, which of course we all know was applied very literally to Josh Duggar back in the day when his porn usage was blamed for a political candidate losing a race. There are stories of kings like Ahab and Rehoboam who go against God, who don't live up to God's expectations for them. And those stories include the consequences that befall the nation of Israel, like plagues, lost battles, financial hardships. There's uh, there's a story that I can only vaguely bring to mind, but one, I think it was one of the three great kings of Israel, was told to take a census and count all the people. Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah. And he was ineffective in the way that he did that and didn't obey God's instructions. And then God just had a bunch of people die. So these stories of God will bring you victory also include all of the stories of the prophets where God describes his relationship with Israel as a divorce or as a father disciplining the children. So in the continued analogy of America equals Israel, America can lose God's blessing and favor if it strays too far from God's will. So many times, so, so, so many times I heard that abortion has got to be made illegal before we lose God's blessing, before God removes his hand of blessing for us, before God gets angry and wipes us all out with a nuclear weapon, before God allows another Great Depression, because the Great Depression happened because God removed his hand of blessing from us because of the sin of the Roaring Twenties. So many times I heard that women in pants and rock music and gay rights are all things that have to be fixed. Now, yesterday, before God gets mad and unchooses us, they reference passages where God, through the prophets, likened Israel to a wife that was being divorced, being left, and they threaten the grave punishments, and they get real creative with that, which is very traumatizing, (laughs) but they threaten these punishments that God is a hair's breadth away from unleashing on the United States any minute now if we don't fix it. Wow. That's so nuts. That's, that's, oh man. Okay. Okay. That's nuts. Um, so this is what I like, I still don't understand that. This is why all evangelicals have anxiety disorders. Okay. 
Like, but like, this isn't anywhere in the Bible. But it is. No, it's like. It is because all of these things happen to Israel and Christians are the new chosen people, the new Jewish people. So therefore, America being a Christian country, uh, since it's spoken about in the book of Revelation, it's in the Bible. And then since if Christians are the new Jews, then America is the new Israel. And if it happened to Israel, it can happen to us. This is like a fucking fever dream. That's what I'll t- that's what it's like, man. Like I no, like I know like I know liberals like us go on all the time and say the First Amendment says that no establishment of religion and the separation of church and state, yada yada yada. Like and that's true. But the, like the evangelicals, the fundies, they have a legitimate argument about the cultural heritage of this country. What with like the Puritans and all that, whether or not you think the Puritans were cool or very not cool is uh, entirely up to you. And whether or not you think they're, they're worth replicating is entirely up to you. Um, so I get that, but what I don't like, I just simply do not get where this comes from on a religious basis. It do, like, it is like a fever dream. And I know like you, I just don't know why they say that uh, like America is the new, I don't know why they would want to be the new Israel. We've had it bad enough, man. You know that this scene, like in uh, in in Walk Hard, where it's like, "Oh, you don't want none of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't want no part of this, Dewey. It's cocaine, like, Dewey. It's you don't cocaine. want none of this. <laughs> you don't want none of this, Dewey. That, <laughs> that's like, what that, people that's... who are actually persecuted say to American Christians. <laughs> no, American Christian. Like, is this why American Christians have to? F- feel like they're persecuted every single time that like anything happens that they don't like this is part of it and then there's also the book of revelation uh which talks a metric ton about christians being persecuted which makes sense because when it was written christians were actually persecuted (laughs) i'm gonna cut that (laughs) uh thank you for Uh... subscribing to the i gave it all tier yeah, I'm like I like I'm gonna be totally honest. If the- no, Jesus didn't say anything from Revelation. No, not not Revelation, but like the 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 new type of people. Oh, like, like a new it, like like the one root theology. No, that didn't come from Jesus either. That came from Paul. Okay, well, Jesus was Jesus was a, he did talk about the end times a little bit. But he he his jam was more like love everybody, uh, game the political system. You don't have to take the laws so seriously. And if you follow all the Jewish laws, but you're still a really bad person, then you still suck. That that was more his that was more his jam. All this other stuff comes from other writers. You know what? I think. Oh god! So, no, so the, the Twitter discourse, say, right? <laughs> um, that's that's a f-ed up thing to say. I'm sorry to everybody who had to hear that. Like, you're not, you're not, uh, like. You edit this podcast. You can take it out. I'm going to take that out. That's that's not something that I'm going to say on the record at all. It's the the Twitter discourse right now is about whether Paul should we should just throw the whole man out. Um, and it's it, I don't have an opinion yet, but it's been very interesting. Do, are people actually talking about that? That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, so people. Wait, are, you, some people are just like you know. We could keep what he wrote as like like an appendix to the Bible and not consider it canon. We really could do that. I mean, you <laughs> which, could 
would be interesting because that would throw out 90% of our salvation theology. So that would be fun. So I think... I think wow. I've explained this as well as I can for in the context of this episode. I think I'm going to need a whole episode on biblical literalism because when we get there, I can show you more about where this comes from in scripture and how the feedback w- loop works because it's, it's a feedback loop of the Bible says it, therefore it is true, therefore the Bible is true. So if the Bible says it, it must be true. And it, it leads to thought-stopping cliches. And I'm going to quote one of them. So quick trigger warning heads up but it leads to thought stopping cliches like god said it i believe it that settles it but you don't get to the point of god said it i believe it that settles it until you accept both this literal interpretation of the scripture and the predetermined conclusion of whatever it is that god said like you have to accept that you are interpreting correctly what god said in the first place it's like biblical algebra my worldview is this scripture says that solve for x and this is how you interpret the scripture you see what i'm saying yeah but with huge impact on how you live your life and coupled with the belief and this is key to the ifb in particular that the bible should determine as much of your daily life as possible which i kind of think is christians doing judaism badly again because i know that orthodox jews have a lot of things that they do daily in order to keep the law, like washing hands at specific times uh, before specific prayers, uh, women wearing head coverings after marriage, there's food laws and Sabbath laws, and they get very highly specific. And I think the IFB look at that and they get FOMO. So they make up their own laws and rules because they want to be that specific too. God, this is so weird. It's like they're, they're like the weeaboos of a Jewish culture. So the whole concept, (laughs) that's fair. That whole concept of actively trying to find ways to let scripture determine your daily life more and more just brought back a whole rush of memories. So I added that to the episode list. So you you may notice if you've been listening carefully that we're wrapping up this episode now. And we didn't even talk about so many expressions of... Uh, Christian nationalism. We didn't talk about how U.S. military equipment is inscribed with Bible verses or how Christian supremacy permeates the public school system in sneaky ways or the Patriots Bible, because those are all outside the realm of the IFB in particular. We barely mentioned Ronald Reagan. We didn't even talk about Jerry Falwell. But I'm happy with the way this one played out because this is the foundation for those more mainstream evangelical displays of Christian nationalism and white Christian nationalism and Christian white supremacy. I believe all of those things have definite roots in what we talked about today because none of those offset, none of those expressions of Christian nationalism would exist without the concept of America being directly correlated with ancient Israel. And that wouldn't exist without, number one, biblical literalism, and number two, the idea that things in the Bible don't just inform our thought processes and our decisions, but they have direct connection to things happening right now in our lifetime. The effects of this on a person who grew up in it are profound. I still feel like I am not able to view America in an a-religious sense. It's like a codependent relationship. I just, I feel like I can never be quite sure where America ends and American Christianity begins. So I had a thought about this. 
And if you like, if you look at American history from the fundies perspective, the whole thing is like they tend to look at it holistically, right? So, or, or as you were saying, corporately, or uh, is is that the, the the term that you were using? So I was talking about uh, corporate blessing and corporate punishment. They they tend to look at it like holistically. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. As you can see, you know, Christian from the start, Christian now, whole thing is Christian. And that kind of makes sense from if you look at it from their perspective. But say, for instance, that you go to the dentist because you have a cavity, your tooth hurts, you have a cavity. And the dentist says, well, here's the problem in your mouth, but I'm going to look at your whole body holistically because your mouth is part of your body. What's your breathing like? You know, b- breath controls everything in your body. Did you know that? Like, if 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 that happened to you, you would go to a different dentist, I hope, because... <laughs> You know, because you don't need breathing exercises and like patchouli oil, you need a filling. It, and I have the same sort of feeling about this. Like, I will freely admit that America is a Christian nation. Like, as somebody who is not a Christian, it is abundantly clear to me that America is a Christian nation. But I will add that I think that America's character as a Christian nation is one of the worst and most insufferable things about this country. So, like, it, looking at it, like, from this perspective, it's going to make you think you know, America's Christian, when something goes wrong, it's because America isn't Christian and it needs to be more, and that would fix it. That it's just. Right. And, and I think I've talked about before on the show, um, the fear of God punishing you by hurting somebody you love and like the fear that, and, and anything that happens in your life. Uh, so anything bad happens to you and you have to figure out, is this a punishment for a secret sin that I committed? Or is this a test from God? Or is this the devil trying to test my faith because he's been given permission from God like Job? It, it is that mental math on everything that happens in the country as well. So right now, our gas price is high because we're a wicked, sinful nation who's far away from God. Or our gas price is high because... The devil is trying to take control, but we are successfully fighting the devil off. Or, <laughs> and it doesn't allow you to say gas prices are high because Russians have a lot of oil and there's uh, boycotts on them right now, and it's kind of throwing the whole world economy off. And inflation is happening because things have to be shipped to the store that you get them from, and gas prices are higher. Like it doesn't allow you to look at these things in a reasonable manner. Because there's that paranoia that's still in the back of your mind of like, are gas prices high because we're sinning? Or is this bad because we're up? Uh, is it because we didn't elect the right person? Is it because of because it's Pride Month? Because it's like you you get this paranoia and it's very hard to learn because you also aren't taught these things about the economy because of Christian schooling. So it's very 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 hard to learn to look at a situation reasonably and say gas prices are high because there's a because Russia is at war and there's like I can't remember the the term embargo is that the right term against them Yeah, I think embargo. There's and a, yeah, um sanctions as well. Sanctions, that's the word I was looking for because because <laughs> we don't learn them in school. Uh but it, it is very hard to look at that situation reasonably because you have been trained to panic and freak out about what's the sin. 
And I wonder, I wonder, it's, it's been a long, it's been a long road to get to this conclusion, but I wonder if this is why I feel so apathetic towards patriotic holidays. Honestly, I don't believe that I hate America. And if a single IFB pastor hears this episode, I know what that he, that he would say that I am an America hating feminist, but With I don't. With blue hair. With blue hair. I, but I don't. I I don't know if I could say that I love America or that I have a lot of patriotic sentiment, but I can tell you I don't hate the country. I think there is a path forward. I think there are good things about America. I don't hope the country falls apart. I do grieve for the division that we are experiencing, and I hope that there will be a resolution. I think that there is a chance for America to overcome our past, but anything patriotic like even just seeing the flag or the idea of a July 4th celebration just turns my stomach. It just does. I don't hate America, but I just, I experience just feelings of utter revulsion when I see any kind of patriotic like display or kitsch. Uh, I just have to wonder if how related that is to the weird the weird road that I've taken to get to this point in my life. Yeah, man. I... I- also, sorry to all of the listeners if my analogies seem a little bit ham-fisted this episode. I, right now, I feel like, I, I assume this is how Sadie felt when she went to the dinosaur museum. You know what I'm saying? Like, when when you were looking at that T-Rex skull that was, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 like, the, the, we asked the guy at the museum and he's like, this skull is 250 million years old, give or take 5, 10 million years, and you're just like, what the <laughs> and after a significant pause, I looked at him and I said, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. And like, it, I could see like, just like the the gears turning behind your eyes. Just like, this is, th- that that's what this is, is doing to me right now is Sadie's telling me all of this stuff. And it's like, just the behind, like inside my brain, it's just like, things are clicking into place and things are really out of place also. No, but like, I mean, like as, as far as 4th of July goes, um, I mean, don't get wrong. Like I love 4th of July. I, I love any holiday. that's an excuse to eat greasy food and drink beer in a lawn chair. But when you get religion involved, especially when it's like American style, evangelical Christian, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are you saying here? Like you're saying that to me, at least when that stuff gets involved, I feel like I'm being told that I'm not really part of this country, which is also kind of something that i've known for a while but it's never really something that i've been comfortable with being told so explicitly so yeah i don't know it's 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 like i guess my reaction to it is similar to sadie's i don't know maybe like this year sadie uh if you're hearing this sadie probably already dragged me to uh pride uh which we haven't attended yet at the time of recording this but uh maybe who knows maybe we'll we'll have a fourth of july barbecue or something outside and we can uh celebrate america in a non-toxic and non like disgustingly nationalistic sort of way and listen to the Jimi hendrix version of the national anthem not the hiles anderson version of it (laughs) if we have a fourth of july party i'm gonna make a full playlist of hiles anderson patriotic songs oh god uh <laughs> we should just we just need to record a, a sadie triggers herself song 
Like, uh, yeah, we have to write it and record it at this point. Yeah, old Sadie triggered herself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. I can't imagine that this is comfortable. A comfortable conclusion for you because the reason that you are told you're not a part of this country is anti-Semitic and appropriative, and not just like now. Like this is a lot deeper than a Jesus Seder. Like, this is yeah. 400 years. Yeah, the, the Jesus Seder, that's a new thing that people just started doing because I guess they saw it on Pinterest, um, <laughs> I assume. No, like, the, the thing is, like, also we get told you're not a part of this country, and then we get also accused of not truly being loyal to this country because, you know, like, you know, what I, like, so it gets you, they get you both ways. It's it's really yeah. weird though. I like I I do feel like loyalty is a two way street, and it's weird to get to to say you're not loyal to this country, but nobody ever asks like, well, is this country loyal to me? I don't know. That's 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 kind of my take. Yeah, um, I get that, and I hope that it is at least somewhat helpful to you to understand where it's coming from. It is. It's it's just it's just uncomfortable. It's just weird to to think about. Like now every time I see some like Republican on the the TV saying something about America, I'm just going, "Oh, I know where this is coming from." And it's way fucking weirder. I yeah. think this one was so interesting for me because I knew a fair bit of this before coming into the episode, but I did not know how to put all the pieces together. And it makes so much more sense now that I put it all together for myself. Anyway, happy 4th of July. <laughs> yeah, happy 4th of July to you too, Sadie. Uh, if it can be happy from having had this conversation. But uh, yeah, okay. If you are a fan of our podcast, if you like our podcast, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Check out our merch. Check out our Club Egypt merch which is very cool looking. You can get hoodies, you can get sweatshirts, you can get uh, tank tops, you can get anything you want with Club Egypt on it. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell yes, Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.